This time on Poll Hub, the politics of the pandemic, how the coronavirus is impacting voters' perceptions of the 2020 campaign, and who, if anyone, is helped or hurt by the situation politically. Also, how likely is that to change? Maybe a lot, maybe not very much. Then a project to track the polling around COVID-19. There is a lot of it, and what the Roper Center is doing is pretty cool, pretty historic. We're going to talk to them about how the data may be used now and in the future. We are keeping our distance. Hopefully you are too, at least from one another. But this is a way we can all get together. So let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Merengoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. For the last month or so, um, coronavirus has been uh, the only story really in, in the United States and in really much of the world. <clears throat> it is 2020, though. It is a political year. It is a presidential political year. And um, I, I, at least, am starting to see, I think, more, um, let's say, comfort with talking about politics in the way that we were talking about politics before this pandemic uh, came across. And for that reason, um, some polling is starting to be discussed that is showing things that, I don't know, these are the things we would be talking about otherwise, but we haven't been talking about as much. And one of those is obviously the president's approval rating, and the other is Joe Biden, who's going to be the presumptive nominee, his approval rating, and what that means for November. So for just a moment, let's not think about the fact that we're in COVID-19 just for a second. And what does this all mean, Lee? <laughs> Thanks. That, that was a good setup. Uh, well, look, you know, and I agree with you. I think we are now, you know, there is a presidential campaign as if there wasn't enough going on right now. We have this whole overlay of, of, uh, of the serious uh, health crisis that exists. I think one of the things I'm seeing right now in the numbers, uh, Joe Biden has an early lead um, among uh, against Donald Trump and his, in terms of his re-election prospects. Um, I think that that's not surprising given that the president has had an approval rating which has not yet in all the dependable polls reached 50%. Um, the, uh, if I can reference... Uh, not yet, not, not ever. Yeah, I mean, not, it hasn't. You know. and, 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 and yet, uh, even the slight blip he got uh, initially, uh, as the virus uh, became more front and center on people's minds, uh, that has evaporated. We're right back to uh, to uh, where it was for him. Um, I would put a caution in here. Uh, obviously, if there's anything we know from prior presidential elections, uh, you know the popular vote, which is reflected in this kind of toss-up head-to-head, where Joe Biden's ahead by six or seven points or eight points uh, nationally. Uh, you know, obviously, it's the Electoral College. Um, that, that determines this. And in fact, the, uh, in, in the last 32 years, uh, the Republicans have only had a majority of the popular vote in 2004, and that was just 50.8%. So winning the popular vote tells us something, but it sets the table, but doesn't tell us obviously about where the Electoral College is going to go. And the other caveat in that, of course, is these are registered voters at this point, not even likely voters, which we wouldn't be talking about until way down the road anyway. So it's premature to put too much stock in what these numbers mean. Um, not, not premature to put some stock in how Donald Trump is being seen as handling this and some of the issues that might come forward as a result of what's going on in terms of the virus. 
And there is a new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that was out at the end of last week, uh, Barb. And it, it, you know, it is about COVID and the coronavirus. It is also about the politics. And it does talk about this very issue, which is how has Donald Trump's handling of this affected or not affected his his uh, approval rating? Same with Biden. How has his you know, um, talking about it, not talking about it, not appearing in public as much as he normally would. How is that affecting his um, approval rating and chances? Those are all issues in this book. Yeah, and you know, but I thought it was really interesting, although we seem to have taken a break from discussing politics and certainly the, the primary season for the Democrats got put on the back burner. One of the things that really didn't change is how polarized we still are nationally. And when we look at these questions, whether it's on either on the candidates or the campaign, or COVID-19, um, you still see this very wide and different perspective depending upon whether you are a Democrat or a Republican. Um, independents kind of you know, sit in the middle and it's not because they don't lean one way or the other, um, but they, you know, they do um, seem to, if they have Democratic leanings, they, you know, they tilt one way and Republican leanings another, but they tend to be you know, a little bit more flexible um, in terms of the, the 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 glasses that they are viewing all of this in, mm. um, I well, think we, I mean we do see that a majority of Americans, fifty eight percent, are more concerned uh, that uh, with the potential of relaxing stay at home restric- restrictions, and that that might happen um, too quickly. Um, the rest, you know, don't go to the other side. Only thirty two percent feel that we should, um, should feels that those restrictions in many of the states. Uh, should be lifted. Interestingly, um, it's probably those folks nationally who are in states with the least restrictions who don't want the restrictions, if that makes any sense. Well, also, Barb, uh, we we are seeing, because this has been slightly more a metro phenomena than a non-metro one in terms of the incidence of the the virus. And so that means that it's been predominantly more in a blue state than a red state, at least up to this point. I think that may be changing, uh, you know, as things That's get, very true. And we've spoken many times. Not, yeah. We've spoken many times about how geography is is really what we need to focus on as, as pollsters and uh, people who want to understand um, how public opinion is changing. But why don't you guys also weigh in just on the differences um, between Biden um, and Trump and their and their overall ratings, because I was I was a little I was a little surprised about uh, uh, you know some of the negatives and just some of the perceptions that people well, had of the, of the two of them. I'll just I'll just real quickly say that there were two things I thought were really interesting, and uh, one's good news for Joe Biden and one is bad news. The good news is among those people who have a negative impression of both Trump and Biden. Biden leads among those people by six to one. And that was a very important group in 2016. The people who did not like Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump went to Donald Trump in the end, and that made the difference. So that's one thing. That's the good news for him. The bad news is, you know, not to get too caught up in the coronavirus and the give and take every day on that, because right now Donald Trump is seen as being better able to handle the economy. And my sense of it is when we get into the fall, September, October, and up to election day, it, we're, we're still going to be talking about the virus, but we're also going to be talking about the jobs and the whole economic picture. So I think the bad news for Joe Biden is that despite everything right now, he's not seen as the economic leader. 
Well, I think we are talking about the economy now, and I think you're you're right. We'll be talking about it in the fall. There are predictions that the uh, you know some of the leading health experts say we're going to be talking about even more about coronavirus in the fall because it could sure. rebound and be Second even worse. Yeah. Um, and the economy, at least most economists at this point, don't seem to suggest that that there's going to be a light switch and everything's going to be back to normal. So, I what I what's interesting to me about that economic number is is any of what's happened baked into that. So uh, Donald Trump's um, approval rating on the economy is higher than Joe Biden's. Uh, is that is, is what's happened in the last four weeks really baked in? 22 million people are out of work. And it strikes me that that, that may not be the kind of number that switches on a dime. So I, I'm really interested to track that. The other thing that's interesting from these numbers, kind of again, as a baseline to, to look forward is who's better to, able to handle a crisis? And right now, at this stage, whereas other presidents like Obama, like Bill Clinton, like George Bush, at this stage had similar crises and all were seen as better able to handle it than their opponents, that is the, the inverse. That's the opposite in this case. And Joe Biden is better able, is seen as better able to handle this crisis uh, by a majority of voters than Donald Trump, by a plurality of voters than Donald Trump. Um, that's another one. I, I would keep an eye on that. If that stays where it is, that seems like it says big, a lot about where we're going to be in November. We're very happy to have joining us right now Kathleen Weldon uh, from the Roper Center. Uh, she is the Director of Data Operations and Communications at the Roper Center for Public Opinion Research. And as we've talked on the podcast many times, um, that I am on the board and we love the Roper Center. So this is not what we call an unbiased interview, but welcome to the podcast, uh, having had that disclaimer. Thank you, Lee. And t tell us, uh, first of all, just a little bit about, you know, we, we use the Roper Center often both at Marist and we talk about it on uh, the podcast, uh, but can you just give us sort of a general view of it and then we'll talk about specifically about the project you're doing right now. Sure. Um, the Roper Center is the oldest social science data archive in the world. It was founded in 1947 um, by Elmo Roper, who thought that maybe these polls he had done during World War II would be of interest to historians in the future, which they certainly have been. He managed to get his friend George Gallup to also give uh, his collection of data to the center. And that was really the foundation um, for what has become the largest archive of public opinion data in the world. So there are two parts of the collection. There's a data set collection with individual level data for our uh, faculty to download and do their complex regressions and build their models. And then there's also a question database um, with top line results from US national polls dating back to 1935 and updated every day off of the public press releases that polling organizations um, publish when they come out with new results. So there were, so yeah, so there were a lot fewer polls back in the day of uh, Elmo, Elmo Roper and, uh, jo and George Gallup. Um, now you must be inundated. How many, how many poll, polling organizations actually contribute to the archive at this point? So we have about 42 who give data sets on a regular basis. We also get people who um, do one poll, uh, maybe a nonprofit does something, they don't do it every month or every year, but they'll send those to us as well. 
And we also have people who give us permission to put their top lines into our database. And that's above and beyond, that's maybe another 20 or 30 organizations beyond the 40 that send us data sets. All in all, going back historically, there's over 1,200 organizations represented in the collection. Wow. And, and I should say, I should correct, I think last week I misspoke and uh, referenced the exit polls and those are also available. Yes, I think are. I said they were not, or we weren't sure, but they are. So we, well, I, I think I did you want said they this. weren't, and then we said they were, and then we said, well, well we you know what? I, we don't know. <laughs> but so we, now we have you, Kathleen, to confirm the fact that if someone is interested in uh, using exit poll data, uh, that's where that's, that's where there. they can go. So, um, you know, before we head into the, the special project, though, um, I just wanted to ask also, how do how would people access this? Because, you know, a lot of our listeners aren't necessarily connected uh, to a university, um, you know, or, um, you know, have a way of connecting to the archive and finding out uh, more about it. So what is the, what is available publicly? So we are a membership-based organization. That's how we support the activity um, of the archive. It is a nonprofit, but we do need to, to pay our, our staff. So And you're at um, Cornell. We, you're at Cornell University. And we are at Cornell. And we have member uh, libraries at, at many, many institutions uh, across the US, whether it's and, and the world. Um, primarily academic libraries, but also survey research organizations, media organizations, nonprofits and think tanks. Um, we have a wide variety of organizations that are part. The newest of those is public libraries. Awesome. Um, the Queens Public Library is a member. Um, so anyone who has a Queens Public Library card can go into the library and use this, um, use the database to search those questions and find them. And we're hoping that we will be expanding that. The uh, Tompkins County Public Library as well is, is a public library member. Um, but we really want to grow that program to allow the people who answered all these questions right. to get the access to the data. Um, also, on our website, we do provide uh, overviews, uh, issue briefs on, on a number of topics. These are full of graphs. Uh, we provide presidential approval back to Roosevelt. Uh, there's a lot of resources that we provide to the public on the website. And I know you, I get uh, you know, it's uh, your number of the day or newsletter also where you kind of take a, a deep dive into, into some of the numbers. Now, um, is that for members? Is there a way that people can see those newsletters? Absolutely. Um, we would love it if you went to the website and signed up for the newsletter. That would be great. <laughs> Anyone can because those are those are very yeah those are very interesting because you do you do take a topic usually something that is very newsworthy um, and you have the analysts at the center take a deep dive into the into the data um, so speaking of that there is a really really big issue and lots of polling that's been done um, over the last weeks months. Um, on the coronavirus. Um, and you have actually a special collection that you've put together for that. That's right. So the questions are always going in. And um, I don't know if you're aware, but yours was the very oh, first. Oh, how about that? You have the oh, first good. question on COVID-19 
in well, the thank US you very much. Yeah. Well, I think that was our NPR and PBS NewsHour partners that very, very early on, I think at the end of January, uh, saw that this was on the, uh, that could be on the radar pretty soon and um, had us uh, do some uh, uh, research and ask some questions about it. And of course, at that time, it was coronavirus, huh? Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. And you don't see changes in the number of questions asked in a topic like mm. this ever mm -hmm. in polling. Yeah. Um, we're doing a, a bit of a tracker where we're watching the number of questions. And I can tell you that the week of March 8th, there were 14 questions in the database about COVID-19. The next week, 150. Wow. 200 the week following. It's just, um, it's just growing exponentially. It, it, it's amazing how many questions are coming in. But the question's always going quickly. That is, um, you know, we do them off of public press releases in part because it allows us to keep up to date with things as they're released. The data sets are a slightly different issue. Most organizations hold on to their data sets for a little while. It could be a couple of months, could even in some cases be a couple of years. Um, they hold on to them for very good reasons. They spent a lot of money doing these polls and they want to get the value out of it. And that value might be measured in a number of academic publications that come out of it, or a number of media hits, uh, uh, public eyes on their website. Um, but they want to make sure that they've done everything they're going to do with it before they share it. And so there's normally a small or sometimes even substantial gap period where we're waiting for the underlying data. We have those top line questions, but not the full data set. But many people, yes. yeah. But many people are interested in the in the top line data. I assume. Yep. Yeah, I'm sorry to 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 interrupt a little bit, but I I assume you're about to say that this is a very different case. <laughs> it's a very different situation, and it's important to get that top line data in quickly. And we actually have been working very hard. We've sort of instituted a new process to um, push those those COVID nineteen questions in an urgent process. Um, to get them in, they're turning around in as little as 24 hours from the time they're released till the time you can find them in IPOL, uh, wrote for IPOL's database. But it's, um, it's a quite another thing. If you are, say, a, uh, uh, someone in planning, uh, someone planning public health response, and you want to know about the particular populations that are aware of certain messages, that are adopting certain behaviors, the particular um, things that can influence someone's understanding of their own level of risk, their family's level of risk. You want to be able to get into the numbers and really dig deep. And at this point, we can't wait right. for that. Yeah, um, that I, I information know. needs to be available and it needs to be available to everyone. Yeah, and, and, and it does, I know, address certain policy choices. So right now, the whole issue of whether things should be reopened uh, or not, depending on health issues or economic considerations. I mean, that's the kind of questions a lot of people are asking and you can trend one organization over time or you can look at a bunch of different organizations on, on any particular question. So that's what the value is. Although I must say, I love the stuff that's from 40, 50, and 60 years ago, too, because it's... it's, it's <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite part of the collection, and honestly, I, one of the reasons I, I, I really think that the archive is incredibly valuable is that there is something to be learned by looking at data on the, um, the swine flu from the 70s and H1N1 and SARS and even polio. 
Um, we have some of we have a flu outbreak um, from you know from the late 60s, yeah. and that data is quite useful in in trying to understand how the public understands these things, um, how they understand risk, um, how they how much trust they have or don't have in in different mm -hmm. figures. Um, but the the top lines only get you so far. And so what we've started doing is uh, asking our data providers, those, those 42 organizations that have an ongoing relationship to send us uh, their data sets as soon as they are done with their release, as soon as they come out with numbers mm -hmm. and send us the data. And people have come through in such a wonderful way that we are making this resource, this quickly building collection of data sets on COVID-19 available to anyone on the website. So that is another public service. If you want to go in and do that analysis, that data is available to everyone. That's awesome. Well, I know, I, I know that you know, we all share this value on public opinion and uh, there's no better place than uh, right where you're working. Although right now I'm not sure you're at the Roper Center itself at Cornell, but- uh, at the virtual but, Roper uh, Center. <laughs> the virtual Roper Center in the archives there. Uh, Kathleen, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And uh, as I say, we, we, we talk about you and the Roper Center, not you personally, but the Roper Center every week and, uh, on the podcast. And it's great and to have thanks, you on. And thanks for letting us contribute. Take care. Great. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And that'll do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College. Well, not at Marist College right now in Poughkeepsie, New York. We are all doing this from our own special locations. Mary Griffith is our executive producer and Casey Schaff is our editor. And Amelia Morrell, whose dad is our number one fan, is joining <laughs> as well to help us out. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us on social media. We are at Maris Poll on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and any place uh, you would find polling information. And we've talked many times about the Maris Poll Academy. If you want to learn more about polling and you haven't got your, your fix from the podcast, you can check us out on the Poll Hub Academy. It's visual, it's engaging, and as others have said, it's free. <laughs> and you can subscribe to this as well, and we'd be happy to see uh, see that you do that additionally. And we'd be remiss not to say that you know this has been certainly a difficult time. It's kind of nice for us to get to see and interact uh, with each other, uh, but we want to also make sure that you are safe and taking care of yourself, and we will persevere and get through this uh, as we have in the past. Mm -hmm.